Hello, this is Dr. David Stanton, Headmaster at Oakdale Academy, and wanted to spend some time today talking about the philosophy of teaching and why that is such a critical aspect of school, of education, and just the, the, whole, the whole ball of wax, if you will. And this, this comes to mind, and, and I'm doing this podcast, this Paideia Ponderings episode, because I had a guest at, at Oakdale that asked, basically what what the philosophy of education from our teachers was and i just thought it was such a such a great question and each of the teachers uh at oakdale and so many teachers uh can can talk about it and uh it's just it shows the passion that they have and i'm reminded that during my undergrad days and a lot of teachers who went through some type of teacher preparation program in their undergrad or grad school days had to write a philosophy of education or their, you know, their framework for education or, you know, some other assignment that, that basically, why do you want to teach? How do you want to teach? And what does it look like to teach? And I've, I've, I've dug mine out a few times over, over the last 20 years or so. And I've, I've played around with it. I've, I've toyed around with it and, you know, altered some, some phrases here and there, but, um, you know, for the most part, it's 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 basically stayed the same, and um, and at the at the heart of it, at the at the actually at the top of it, I have for years uh, always included the phrase uh, from Proverbs to paraphrase um, Proverbs twenty two that to train up a child in um, the way he should learn and grow, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Uh, just to, to paraphrase that, and. I think it's I think it's critical for teachers to realize a couple of things about themselves, and um, and is is in relation to another question that that I've received recently, like what makes a good teacher? And and here is my answer: uh, What makes a good teacher is someone who knows their their discipline, uh, knows how to teach math or science or history or literature or first grade uh, or kindergarten or you know whatever wherever they're placed wherever they're called they know how to teach they know the subject matter the material but in many ways more important than that is that they love being around students you know, I spent quite a few years in high school and quite a few years in middle school and now I have the joy of, of being in a pre-k through 12 school at Oakdale and there is truly uh, something magical about being in front of a group of students. And if you don't have that sense, you don't get that excitement, uh, whenever you step in front of a group of students, whenever you work with a student one-on-one, -on -one, whenever you give a talk to students, then I would argue teaching is likely not the right career. Um, and if it used to be the case, but no longer is, it, it's probably time to, to look deeply and see if you can regain it, or perhaps it's, it's time to, to move on. Because you really have to love being with students and the students that, that are yours. If you are a middle school teacher, you really have to like sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. You have to like the goofiness. You have to like the um, the hormones bouncing all over the walls. Uh, you, you really have to enjoy that age. If you like high schoolers, you really have to like digging deep and being challenged on stuff. If you like teaching in elementary school, you really have to 
be able to dig in and be able to care for every need that kids have and enjoy it. Otherwise, there's you're, you're not a good teacher, I would argue. And you also, I would say thirdly, you have to, whether you can voice it always or not, you have to realize that teaching, teaching is an art. There have been a bunch of books written on it, but but just simply put, it, it is an art form. It's a science. Um, you cannot do the same thing the same way year after year after year. You can't just go to your file cabinet and pull out the manila envelope and say, oh, well, today is you know, March you know, 14th. And on March 14th, this is what I taught last year. So on March 14th, this is what I'm teaching this year. And this is how I'm teaching it. I'm using the same paper and I'll use the same test and I'll use the same page in the book. You know, it's an art form. You got to change. You have to adapt. Um, and it's, it's critical that you're able to do that because it keeps your skills fresh, but it certainly, you, you adapt in some ways to the children that are in front of you. In some ways, though, because it's an art form, some things do remain the same. The passion that you have, the standards that you set, the expectations that you have for students and for yourself as a teacher have to remain the same. So what makes a good teacher? I mean, those are just three things really quickly that, that I think of. But as I talk with teachers uh, and as I have uh, teachers, uh, a, a teacher now in in my family, um, in, in my extended family, and watching this teacher in my extended family kind of uh, develop their skills, you can see a, a passion for kids. You can see the, the need to change constantly. And I guess a fourth one to learn uh, or to add is you, you want to continue to learn. Now, that doesn't only or always mean you just keep going back for schooling and formal education. But it does mean that you're always adapting. What's, what's another way I can reach this student? What's another thing that I can try? What's another, um, you know, arrow in the quiver uh, that I can use uh, with a difficult student or with a promising student who needs a little bit more challenge? Education, teaching, this art form is not a one-size-fits-all. And it is critical for, for teachers to, to remember that. And sometimes that means we have to take times like uh, I'm taking right now and, and think through based on a question, uh, the questions I was asked recently, to think through what it is that really keeps me in education. You know, I've been in education for over two decades. And in many ways, uh, it just uh, doesn't seem like a long time. And there are years where it seems like it's been a long time. Um, but the better part of my career has been working with students. If I wasn't teaching them, uh, I, was, I was in charge of disciplining them at a, at a larger school uh, and trying to help them through things and, and you know, basically tutor uh, in certain areas. And now I'm, I'm doing a mixture of those things. You know, I'm, I'm administrating and leading a school while still teaching class, uh, you know, throughout the week. And I couldn't be happier. I, I love the challenge of being a teacher. I love putting aside, uh, even for, you know, 90 minutes, I love being able to put aside uh, the business, the operational aspect to do 
that great thing, that magical thing, which is to be with students and to help them work through problems and situations and to learn and to grow um, as, as, they, as they interact with, with material. There is truly, in just the, the last couple minutes here, what I want to share, there is truly something magical. There's something wonderful. And at a classical Christian school, I'd say it's, it's at a whole other level. Because not only do you get to interact with students about the academic world, you get to pour into them from the foundation of a common faith in Jesus Christ. And there is something so special, so um, rewarding, and so filling for you when you can talk and disciple a student in their walk with the Lord. You can challenge them on their on their the way that they're thinking through you can talk to them about foundational issues you can you can work through um, scriptural passages with them you can share with them you know things that you've thought of and and, and things that you've experienced you know at certain levels uh, as you talk with them the older that you get you can pour into little students um, you know kindergartners and tell them the the stories rather, I should change it, the accounts of scripture and why those things are so important to their formation as young adults. You can take a middle schooler and really see the, the struggle that they have as an adolescent uh, and, and what that is going to look like as they come in to be high schoolers and really speak to them um, as a brother or a sister to them. And then you also get to uh, to add to that the, the academic realm, the rigorous focus so that students are prepared when they leave, truly prepared uh, for a life of service. And there is truly no other career that I can think of that is quite like that. And so teaching is a calling because of those very things. Because teaching is, is unlike, as I just said, any other career. And so you have to be called to it. And I would say as a classical Christian educator, you are called by God to enter into this daily artistic ritual called teaching in a classical Christian school. And so when, when we think about the teachers uh, at Oakdale and at uh, other classical Christian schools, and just teachers in general who have devoted themselves and, and know who the Lord is and know that they've received a calling from him, whether they're in a private school or public school, a charter school, or, or whatever the case might be, Christian teachers know that it is an art form, know that it is a calling from the Lord, and we should be thankful for the work that they do. So as you think about the education of your children, and you think about the education of children that you know uh, that are in your family, can I encourage you to take one step back and not think just about that child? But think about who's interacting with that child, who's leading that child seven hours a day, five days a week, over 160 plus uh, days a year. And what do, they, uh, what do they do and why do they do it? I would, I would encourage you to ask the teachers, why do you do this? Why did you become a teacher? Why do you keep doing it? I bet you'll be amazed by the answers as much as I am whenever I'm able to, to chat with teachers that way. There's a real passion that comes out, and you, you almost see the 
after a stressful school day, you can see the, the weight kind of melt off when they start talking about what it's like to be a teacher, even in those tough days. And that is such a blessing. And I would say specifically at a classical Christian school such as Oakdale, it's such a blessing to watch teachers interact and pour into their kids at every stage, at every age. So what is it? What does it mean to be a teacher? Why is it, um, what are the things that are important to be a teacher? A passion for what they do, mastery of their subjects, a love of the Lord, and a desire to be with students, and a desire to realize it's an art form that's ever-changing. And we continue to come back every single year to make sure that we're training up our students in the way they should learn so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for listening to me reminisce about uh, the importance of teachers and uh, and why they do what they do. Uh, again, I encourage you to ask the teachers in your life. Maybe it's somebody who used to teach and is retired, or it's yourself. Even uh, ask yourself the same question: If you were a teacher or are a teacher, uh, ask your children's teachers those questions. See what makes them tick, because it is a unique group of people that has selected. Uh, teaching is their calling and their you know, response to that. Um, encourage you, uh, if the message that you've heard today and in other episodes of Paideia Ponderings is something that appeals to you, would you consider sponsoring us? Um, we are thrilled with our partnership with Anchor, but would love to have some sponsors to help us continue to spread the message of classical Christian education uh, to as many people as possible. So we'd, we'd really covet that and, and be thrilled to, to be able to partner with some sponsors in that. If you live in the metropolitan Detroit area, as we often say, I encourage you to uh, consider looking at Oakdale Academy. You can find us online at www.oakdaleacademy.com or you can email us info or admissions at oakdaleacademy.com. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy your wonderful day. Yeah, today I want to talk about the cost of education. And by the cost of education, I'm not talking about the dollar amount that, uh, that we put for tuition. Um, I, I'm talking about the cost of education if you don't if you, if you don't have the, the best possible education. Now hey, I'm going to throw a disclaimer out. Every educational system, because it's a system, because there are uh, people involved, uh, it's not perfect. It, it all has, it always has room for improvement. Um, but it ultimately, um, there's a cost that goes along with education. In, and the cost is what do students learn by the time they're done? So let, let's think through just a little bit of logistics here. The average student... Uh, goes to school, formal education, from uh, kindergarten, sometimes pre-kindergarten, junior kindergarten, preschool, young fives, wh whatever it might be called, all the way up through 12th grade. And in those 13 or 14 plus years, they spend five days a week, about seven or so hours a day, and at least 160, 170, 180 days a year. So half of a full year, of a 365-day year, is spent in school over the course of 13-plus years. 
and you do have to ask yourself, well, what happens at the end? What, what's, what have I, what have I learned? What have I invested in? What's my, for you business folks, what's my ROI? What's my return on investment? Well, in progressive education today, uh, the return on investment is you're told it's, it's STEM, it's STREAM, uh, it's STEAM education, and, and students are going to be prepared, best prepared for college and the jobs of tomorrow. Uh, they're critical thinkers. They're, they're able to work collaboratively with other people. And if that's, that's your cup of tea, well, you, you have any number of free schools uh, that you can, you can send your children to. A lot of people think the, the cost of education is, well, this is just what I have to do. I, you know, they've got to go to school, and I live in this school district, or you know, I live in this county school organization, so I've got to go here because that's just where people go that live in our neighborhood. And again, cost is free, no, no, no problem. But if you come to a school that's a classical Christian school, the, the cost that you put up front, I'm going to argue, would pay dividends well beyond what you could ever imagine. Because at schools like Oakdale Academy, at classical Christian schools, we teach students from a Christian worldview. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that the worldview that is being taught in this world is in many ways and in many venues diametrically opposed to the worldview that we presented in Scripture. And let's let's go then another another level down from there. The the concept of patriotism and in our love of country and the importance and the greatness of the United States of America. What's the cost? for 13 plus years in schools that say that everything that we have done as a country is wrong. Everything that we stood for in the past is wrong. We weren't founded, many would argue, on uh, Christian principles or a Judeo-Christian Greco-Roman heritage. No, we, we're, we're told, um, we're, we're told instead that you know, a, a gentleman named Jeff Schweitzer, who used to be a, a White House senior policy analyst a couple administrations ago, said how terribly ironic that the louder Christians protest against the excesses of Islam, the more they agitate for Christian excess. We really need to stop this ridiculous argument about being a Christian nation. You know, the Freedom from Religion Foundation even said right-wing Protestants and Catholics would impose their narrow morality on the rest of us, resisting women's rights, freedom for religious minorities and unbelievers, gay and lesbian rights, and civil rights for all. History shows us that only harm comes of uniting church and state. America has never been a Christian nation. We are a free nation. And this is what then Ann Gaylor, the founder of the Freedom from Religion Foundation points out, there can be no religious freedom without the freedom to dissent. And so we would say to Ms. Gaylor, that part we would somewhat agree with you on. But we are dissenting against that opinion because America is a nation founded on the principles of Christianity. Our founding fathers and their generation overwhelmingly professed faith 
in a Christian denomination. Several members of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were ordained ministers. You know, from its earliest colonial age, America had God at its core. All 13 of the original colonies that would become the United States had God mentioned, honored, and lauded in their charters and governing documents. You want to know what the cost of education is? It's, it's what the leaders of our country will be espousing in the next few decades. Do you want people espousing that, that our nation is no good, that our nation has only bad intentions? Or do you want to have a nation where we have trained up students to honor and respect all that our nation has done and stood for, including to recognize the things that we have done wrong. We don't turn a blind eye to the horrors of our history, but we also look at the foundations and realize that overall, the foundations of our country are strong and solid and they're to be, they're to be celebrated and stood up for and defended still. You can go back to its earliest times the Mayflower Compact, all the way up to the Fundamental Constitutions of Connecticut in 1639. You know what they were? They were a compilation of a sermon from the Reverend Thomas Hooker, who founded the city of Hartford. And Hooker said, the choice of public magistrates belongs unto the people by God's allowance. The privilege of election, which belongs to the people, therefore must not be exercised according to their humors, but according to the blessed will and law of God, mutual covenanting and confederating of the saints in the fellowship of the faith according to the order of the gospel is that which gives constitution and being into a visible church. Mutual subjection is the sinews of society by which it is sustained and supported. Even the Massachusetts Provincial Congress in 1774 declared in the resolution to the inhabitants of the Massachusetts Bay that they were to nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. John F. Kennedy in his 1961 inaugural address said, the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. Our very founding had to be based on a belief not only in God, but in the God that wrote our Bible and guides our lives. President Eisenhower noted that the founding fathers had to refer to the creator in order to make their revolutionary experiment make sense. Even Ralph Waldo Emerson noted that America is another name for opportunity. Our whole history, he said, appears like a last effort of divine providence on behalf of the human race. As Americans, we should embrace our heritage and re-energize our commitment to our faith to leave a legacy for future generations. The arguments against the involvement of God in our nation are a house of cards that will fall. And Emerson concludes and says, as, a Christ, as Christians, we should take our lead from Paul, who gave us these words in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the true cost of education? It's recognizing what type of country we will have in the next generation. At a classical Christian school, we teach our students to honor our country, 
to look at its rights and to look at its wrongs, to look at its good decisions and its bad decisions from an analytical perspective, but from a perspective of knowing that God has blessed this country and still has more in store for it. And to ensure that we are pointed back, not to Washington, D.C., but back to the cross as our true foundation. So what's the cost of education? It really depends on what kind of country you want. With that thought hanging in your head, uh, again, ask you to consider supporting places like Oakdale Academy, where we do point our students to things of character, truth, and wisdom, so they are ready and prepared to serve God, family, community, and country using this wonderful thing we call classical Christian education. If you happen to live near us, we encourage you to uh, consider us for admission. Uh, OakdaleAcademy.com. You can always contact us, info at OakdaleAcademy.com or admissions at OakdaleAcademy.com. If you don't happen to live in Metro Detroit, but you want to find a school like this, then I can uh, ask you to consider looking at the Association for Classical Christian Schools, ACCS, and uh, find the nearest classical Christian school near you. And again, if you're so inclined and um, guided to give, again, you can find a little donate button or support Oakdale Academy right on our website or here in the show notes to support this podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Encourage you to be prayerful in the things uh, about what the true cost of education is. And with that, I thank you again for listening and enjoy and have a blessed day.